Welcome back to the Signs of the Southland podcast presented by From the Rumble Seat. I am Akshay Schworn, and joining me today, live from beautiful Atlanta, Georgia, are Cade Lawson, and new to the podcast, but in Wichita, Kansas, Drew Gordon. How are y'all doing tonight? Doing all right. Yep, pretty good. We are coming at you after another week of Georgia Tech football and a couple big wins for GT Volleyball. But, you know, before we get into all that big football talk that we usually love to do, and boy, was it a rough week for that, let's talk a little bit about the Lady Jackets at O'Keefe. Kay, do you want to give us an update? Yep, absolutely. And before we continue, a quick moment of silence for Jake and Ethan, who are not here tonight. Ethan is currently recovering from carpal tunnel induced by his intense Nintendo Dogs addiction. And, um... Jake actually drowned while skinny dipping in the Chuck E. Cheese ball pit. So they'll both be kind of on the recovery, hopefully, and be back here next week. I mean, we we got to place them on the IR. You know, they'll be back in a couple weeks, hopefully before the end of the season. You know, it's a tough break, especially with that Nintendogs addiction. But, but yeah, I'm sure you hate, you hate to see what that does to the youth in this country. But it's yeah. honestly, it's, it's just about as bad as Fortnite, you know? Oh, gosh, yes. David Price, never forget. But... In the world of non-rev sports, I'm going to do my best Jake and Ethan impression, which is not going to be very good, and talk about volleyball. So volleyball did get the win against UGA in clean old-fashioned hate, albeit very, very uh, in very, very contentious fashion on Friday. They went up two sets to none over Georgia before uh, letting UGA tie it at 2-2, two and two, and then got a very, very close fifth set victory to win the match over Georgia. So that was a great game. And then today, I believe they also beat Arkansas. So that's a 2-0 and weekend and couldn't ask for much better, especially with the way they won that Georgia game. It's the best atmosphere on campus, bar none. And that's just a testament to how much fun this team is to watch, especially when they're playing well. Yeah, I think this is a really young volleyball team. And obviously, you know, Cade, you and I aren't super you know, intimate with the sport of volleyball and know all the rules and such. But, there, I mean, there were a couple questionable calls in this game that went Athens' way that went a long way in making sure that they won those two sets and sending it to that fifth set. Yeah, it was, it was questionable. I guess the – um, I get, I guess they're line judges maybe in volleyball, but I guess they're independent. They don't seem like they're from any conference. So they they had a hard time. I think it kind of went both ways and – I don't think you can really chalk up the gigantic margin that Georgia won those last two sets by or those middle two sets by just to them, but they definitely weren't helping. Yeah, and especially it was super electric in those first two sets and then it kind of tailed off for the two sets that Georgia won, but then got back into it for that fifth set. and was It was loud. It was awesome to be in there. I don't think I've heard you know a crowd that loud in a long time on campus, and it was really exciting to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. It was a hot game, but it was a really fun game to watch. I think they'd pay for AC and O'Keefe to keep those like 1,200 people nice and cool, but uh didn't happen this week. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it's been a good weekend so far for the, in the uh, Georgia Tech Classic, and uh, hopefully, hopefully Tech can keep it up moving through the season. I think Georgia was basically 28th in the last coaches poll in volleyball. So that's a big win for a young team on the flats. Yeah, it was my understanding that they were a really good team. Um, 
I've never watched Georgia play volleyball before until now, but it was my understanding that they're really good and their ranking backs that up. So that's a big win. Yeah, it was a good weekend. That's uh, that's really all you all you got to say about volleyball this weekend. But now let's get down to brass tacks and talk about the uh, the sadder part of the weekend. So uh, Tech loses to Pitt by five points. I uh, honestly don't remember the final score, which is bad on my part. I probably have it was it twenty four to nineteen. 24 to 19, like Drew says. Uh, just to give you a brief rundown of the stats here, Tech had 386 total yards, which is down, pretty seriously down from the last two weeks. Uh, quarterback to Quan Marshall, 6 for 15 for 66 yards and an interception. Uh, as a team, Tech rushed 56 times for 320 yards. They went four for 13 on third downs and one for three on fourth downs, including a not-so-great fake punt that we'll touch on in a little bit. Pitt, on the other hand, um, under notorious complainer of the chop block, Pat Narduzzi, uh, 335 total yards of offense, quarterback Kenny Pickett, 16 for 23 for almost 200 yards and a pick. Uh, quarter uh, running back Allison had 17 carries for 91 yards and two touchdowns. Narduzzi pulled the old rabbit out of a hat a couple times with some trick plays. I think he just hates Georgia Tech for some weird reason. I don't know what we did to him at Michigan State and earlier on his career at Pitt, but strange. Uh, and Pitt was also five for 12 on third down. So overall, not a not a good outing for the Jackets. Uh, what did y'all think? Uh, Drew, you want to go ahead and start? Yeah, I mean, based, based on those stats that you said, it really doesn't look atrocious. I mean, we had more total yards than them, but it, it, that does not tell the story. I think Marshall was not good throwing the ball. I mean, he said six for 15 for 66 yards, and that's just not a way to win a game. I mean, he had one pass to Jalen Camp that would have been should have been caught for you know 30 40 yards he just there was no one around him there was no no one near him and he just dropped it but even other than that I mean one of those fourth downs was a pretty open comeback to Jalen Camp and he overthrew him and Jalen Camp's like 6-3 I mean he he overthrew him quite a bit and that's that was a big struggle for, for Tech and I think for Taquan when when things go bad, he str- he struggles to throw the most. But when things go bad is when we need him to throw the most. So I think that's a a poor poor timing for that. Um, running the ball, I mean, yeah, okay, we did you know five point seven yards per carry, but that was mostly in the second half. In the first half, yeah, we we didn't get anything going. We were just stuffed every time. I mean, the halftime score is, what, 21 zip for Pitt? And it just – Jackets could not get anything anything going on the offensive side of the ball. And they just could not get a stop on the defensive side of the ball. And especially outscoring your opponents – or out, outgaining your opponents in two consecutive games and losing both of them is not a good look for for your team overall. I know it was a bigger margin last week against South Florida, but this week even, you know, this small margin given the – the fact that the game really felt a lot less close than it was 
given that Pitt was up by two scores for almost all of it until that very late touchdown drive that made it 24-19. Um, it was not a good, not a good looking game from anybody. Um, Taquan Marshall, he didn't really complete any passes at all. He completed one, I think, up until midway through the fourth quarter or so, which was not good at all. And then he got, uh, you know, a few on that very last drive, the very last couple of drives maybe. Um, and then as a team, the rushing efficiency was there. Paul Johnson said at the end of the game, he didn't seem too happy with Taquan Marshall's reads for most of the game. So uh, you you wonder what would happen if, I know Kelly Quinlan said this on Twitter, if Lucas Johnson was still still healthy, who we thought would be a backup that would play a little bit more this season, but his injury really restricted the options in that department. So you saw Taquan Marshall struggle a little bit. The defense struggled a whole lot early on and really just overall. I know we talked a little bit about how much time is left for Taquan as a starter here on here on the bullet points, but I think the answer to that is probably quite a bit of time just because Paul Johnson has not shown a whole lot of confidence in Tobias Oliver to come in and make any kind of plays at all. So <clears throat> you'd like to see next week some improvement. Of course, the opponent next week is going to be really hard to show improvement against in Clemson. So hopefully we get to see these guys come out and play a little bit better, but this week not super great from Taquan Marshall in the offense. Yeah, it was just, you know, the offense just didn't have that great of an outing today. Uh, I mean, it's a quite a bit different from last week where you could kind of pin the loss on, hey, we just didn't defend on two kickoffs and our defense uh, – Defense had a bit of trouble uh, defending the central runs, whereas this week it was definitely lack of offensive efficiency, lack of offensive ability that really kind of skewered Tech's effect, uh, Tech's impact at Heinz Field. Couldn't, like you said, couldn't move the ball. The play calling was also a bit of a question mark at, at points. Um, passing on first down when he really should be. I mean, especially in a flexible offense, when when you know most of us expect a run, uh, usually towards the outside. Uh, Pitt was getting a lot of penetration on the Tech offensive line, and I mean, there, we had a couple injuries on the offensive line too during this game. I know Andrew Marshall had a lower leg injury. Uh, I think that was sometime during the second half, but I don't know specifically about the offense. What, what did you all think? Yeah, I, I had an issue with the play calling as well, even other than the, the fake punt, which obviously was you know questionable. Uh, we were killing them, or well, not killing them, but early in the game, our only success was going outside. And instead of just running, you know, classic rocket tosses or just our classic spread option and moving it outside, Paul Johnson was pulling, you know, things like counters and stuff that were slow plays that were letting the inside penetration prevent us from getting outside. If, if he had done quicker hitting outside plays, I think that would have made a difference early in the game. Yeah, for sure. The, um, <clears throat> the play calling was definitely interesting. I really wish that we would go ahead and kind of reel in the playbook a little bit because the best we've seen the offense look all season long at any point at all, period is when Tobias Oliver was running that really vanilla playbook and everybody on the offensive line and everybody blocking and the quarterback himself seemed really comfortable. So you mentioned, or Paul Johnson, like I said earlier, was upset with missed reads and stuff like that. There were some bad blocking on the offensive line in this game. 
And so I think it might help to just kind of pull back and let everybody slow down a little bit and run some of those plays, like you mentioned, Drew, the rocket toss and some of the simpler ones where you know you can consistently get yards um, historically, but that are a little bit less complicated and a little bit less of a burden on on our blocking and on Taquan Marshall as well, because that would just kind of slow things down and make it a little easier for everyone to operate. I agree. I find it a little odd that we we pretty much never run the midline, the midline follow with Taquan Marshall. I know he's a little smaller than most of our QBs, but he does fine in the middle. I mean, he gets hit all the time. But the follow was killer with Tobias Oliver, and we never run it with Taquan Marshall. So I, I don't get what Paul Johnson is going for there. I, I, you know, maybe there's something going on where Taquan has trouble with that, but I, I, I don't understand what he's going for there. Yeah, and I get that it would be a small sample size, you know, since we're talk <clears throat> talking about one quarter of one game with Tobias Oliver, but I mean, the fact is that he put up 21 points in that game or in that one quarter compared yeah. to the nine points that were put up in this entire game and the what, I think 17 total points that were put in the other three quarters of the South Florida game. So I think it's worth worth noting and worth thinking about, even if Paul Johnson doesn't want to do that, even though Historically speaking, Paul Johnson's kind of been the first guy to simplify things and show show his lack of confidence in certain players or certain plays by not calling them or, you know, staying away from a certain part of the field or whatever. Well, I think that kind of begs the question. How much time is left until Paul decides to go a different direction and, and switch quarterbacks? Well, I think that entirely depends on how much he trusts Tobias Oliver to do anything other than, you know, hold it himself, keep it himself with like a midline follow or a QB keep. If, I mean, that can work for a game. Like if you remember the Matthew Jordan game a few years ago against Virginia Tech, he kept it basically the whole game and we won. I mean, the offense did fine, but that's only going to work for a game or two before the defense keys in. You really need to trust a QB in the system to be able to pitch it, to be able to make reads and hopefully to be able to throw it. So I, I think for now, Taquan's going to still be the guy, until, maybe until the season gets really out of hand. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned the season getting out of hand. We're, I'm really nervous about, you know, at what point we can say we're getting out of hand because this was really the easy part of the schedule with, you know, Alcorn, South Florida, and Pittsburgh, and you're coming out of it one and two. So you, I really hope they can turn things around. Um, I really hope that Taquan Marshall is the guy that can turn things around. But based on the sample size we've seen so far, which is a full season plus the first three games of this season, uh, it does seem like he's struggling in his role a little bit. Um, but it really just depends on what Paul Johnson thinks about uh, Tobias Oliver behind him. I keep going back and thinking about Lucas Johnson and the fact that it seemed that Paul Johnson had far more confidence in him than he does in Tobias Oliver, just based on where they, those two are situated at the depth chart. Um, so losing him really hurt any hopes of kind of breaking in a second quarterback, a quarterback of the future who's going to play a few more years down the line as well. But I mean, I personally would really like to see Tobias Oliver play a little bit just so that we can see what we have. It may very well end up that uh, Taquan Marshall is still the best option, but I mean, when you're watching the offense struggle a whole lot and put up 19 on an off on a defense that you really, really have really laid it on in the past and probably should have done again this year, given the type of games they've had against Penn State and other teams like that, um, I think it would be worth 
taking a look at what you have behind him. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I think it's something to to consider, and I'd, I'd like to see Tobias Oliver get more snaps, but I'm not sure uh, Paul Johnson or I am willing to to throw in the towel on this year yet. Um, and I think that's what going to to Oliver this early in the year would do. I agree. I think the Lucas Johnson injury hurt a lot. I really liked Lucas Johnson. I think, you know, his throwing is definitely seems superior to to Quan Marshall's. And so I think him getting in the game would have been great. But, you know, with him out, I think it's a lot harder to say that Taquan's not the guy. I think, you know, there's only you still want other players on the offense to develop. And doing that requires having a, a decent quarterback. And if Paul Johnson doesn't think that Tobias Oliver is there yet, then he probably he has more insight than I do, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> the only, I guess, nit I would pick with that is that I'd, I would question whether or not it would be really throwing in the towel to play him some more this year, just because, I mean, it it would be one thing, in my opinion, if Taquan Marshall was winning close games or, you know, having the offense run competitively, and then we were still talking about playing Tobias Oliver, but if it, it really doesn't seem like anything is going to get a whole lot better for the offense. So I think maybe even if it's just for a few drives per game, I think seeing Tobias Oliver would be less throwing in the towel and more trying to figure out a more creative approach to winning, like he tried to do during the South Florida game, even though he came in due to injury. Um, and that's actually another interesting thing is that Taquan Marshall's been hurt a couple of times. He got hurt a little bit in this game, and he just kept playing through it. And the fact that Paul Johnson was willing to run a semi-injured Taquan Marshall out on the field over healthy Tobias Oliver is not a huge vote of confidence in him. But I just really find myself wondering what he could provide for the team, given the opportunity. I'm also yeah, I agree with Burn. I'm also concerned that Paul trotted out a injured Taquan Marshall a couple times in this game. Like, that's not good. That, that's something we saw. Obviously, it was a dis- different situation in Michigan when Brady Hoke sent back in a super concussed quarterback to play um, in, a, in in on consecutive plays. But the, this, I mean, you still don't want to send an injured player back on the field, right? No, not at all. And, I mean, the nature of the way Taquan plays the game, he takes a ton of hits. I mean, we saw it in this game. We see it in every game. He likes to keep the ball himself as opposed to pitch it, um, which is, I mean, less a criticism of him and more just a statement to the way he likes to play. But that's going to take a toll on you. And the way to keep him fresh, I think, would be to give somebody else, like Tobias Oliver, the opportunity to come in for a few plays or for a drive or something like that just to keep him fresh. Because I he he tailed off at the end of last season after that really strong start. I think the hits he had to take all season long probably contribute a lot to that. And I'm afraid we're going to start seeing that again here shortly, even though he didn't have the hot start to this season that we saw in 2017. I I think that's a valid concern. I think that's a good reason to play Oliver more. And I mean, obviously this game, early in the game, he was holding his leg sometimes after hits. I mean, and he really relies on his shiftiness, his ability to cut quick, his ability to to move side to side. And that was, uh, you know, it didn't seem like it was there for him. He he did a lot more pitching, a lot more 
I mean, even throwing than he normally does. I mean, it was a lot of straight line running too. Even on the on the plays that he was able to break through the center of the defense, it was a lot more straight line and then take that first hit and go down from what it seemed like to me. Yeah, for sure. And there were a couple of plays too where I think the comment or it was West Durham. So I don't know why I said the commenter, but West Durham um mentioned, yeah, it seems like a healthy to or a healthy Taquan probably makes that play. And for the most part, I agreed with those. There were a few where it was just like a defender grabbed his foot, and I'm not sure how that would, you know, be any different with healthy uh, healthy Taquan. But there was a big, big difference in the way that he ran the offense and was able to execute in this game. Um, we can't say for sure what part of that is due to injury and what part of that is due to, you know, whatever other factors like blocking from the offensive line or whatever else. But uh, there's no doubt in my mind that, playing an injured quarterback who's already been having a few struggles this season of his own is probably not going to be super conducive to winning the game most of the time. Yeah. So with that being said, let's move on to another unit. Uh, the team that seemed like it had a lot of struggles, especially early on uh, the defense, honestly, in this game, there was really not much pressure on pit quarterback, Kenny Pickett. Uh, except I think we have noted here that Henri St. Amour was doing a good job creating some havoc. Tackling was not not particularly great, again, for the second game in a row. Uh, just a lack of wrapping up, a lot of just arm tackling. The defensive backfield played okay. Uh, there was one play that I really liked in the second half. Uh, I forget who the corner was, but it was on a long pass play for Pitt. And he was able to knock it away uh, right off of one of Pitt's trick plays. And that was that was super – I mean, that was a positive point. Otherwise, kind of non-plussed, not great game. Uh, the only other note I have here is that Caleb Oliver did suffer an injury. Uh, I believe one of the notes that we had uh, coming out of the game was he was unable to put pressure on one of his feet. Uh, so moving forward, especially going into Clemson, that's that's also a little concerning. So, guys, what did we think about the defense overall? So, first half, obviously not as good. Second half, you can't complain about what you got from them. Um, real quick, I would like to say probably my defensive MVP would probably be Tariq Carpenter. He really has stepped up and played really good football these first few weeks. You wish he didn't get... Okay, I have sounds no like idea. a pretty ringing endorsement for Tariq Carpenter there. Uh, I have no idea what that was. That was from the ESPN stats website. So <laughs> that's a new adventure. <clears throat> so oh, I'll yeah, go ahead. Tariq Carpenter. Tariq Carpenter. Yeah, so Tariq Carpenter, I think I would give Tariq Carpenter my MVP. He's played incredibly well this whole entire season. He came out in this game, finished with a team leading or tied for a team lead in five tackles. Um, he really laid some big hits on a few guys, one of which I think was uh, caused a guy to be short and caused force, I think, a third or a fourth down, probably a third down. Um, and then he had that really nice pass defense um, late in the game where he was able to get a hand on the ball without interfering with the def uh, the wide receiver at all. And he also had one of Georgia Tech's just three tackles for a loss in the game. So really good play from him. Um, but – Going back to that three tackles for a loss I just mentioned, that's not at all what you want to see from a team, especially one that's playing against one of the slower offenses we've seen this entire season, one of the more pro-style and less 
you know, hurry up spread offenses like we saw with South Florida. But not a single sack, only three tackles for a loss in the whole game. Um, one of the big things we talked about when Nate Woody got here was trying to fix that havoc rate that we did not see at all last season with Ted Roof. But this game, you just it, it was not there at all. Just three tackles for a loss, and it was not a good t- good good day overall for the defensive line and the linebackers on this team. I agree with you, Kate. I think a lot of the problems this defense has is that the front seven is not, you know, this Nate Woody's defense needs the front seven to make plays. Okay, you're going to give up big plays. That's going to happen. That's fine because your front seven is also making plays. They're making sacks. They're making tackles for loss. They're causing fumbles. They're causing bad throws by the quarterback. And none of that happened this game. The, the, the defensive line outside of Henri St. Amour did absolutely nothing. The linebackers, you know, there's a play or two where they might made a nice play, but otherwise they, they weren't there. They were getting pushed back. They were making tackles, you know, six, seven yards behind the line of scrimmage like they would be in a Ted Roof defense. I mean, the, the, the front seven wasn't there. I think our defensive backfield held their own. They weren't the best. They missed some tackles on runs, but you know they they did an okay job. You, you mentioned Tariq Carpenter. You know he had a good pass defense, and then other than that, though, it, it, they're just Pitt wasn't throwing downfield much outside of trick plays. They they were just taking the short passes because we could not get there in time. We could not get to the quarterback. The short passes weren't even that short. You're talking about comeback routes that are ending at 10 yards, 15 yards. They were just hammering that medium range, medium range passing game the entire day. Yeah. I mean, it it felt like shorter than it was because we could not get there quick enough. We could not get there. You know, you should be able to put pressure on a QB before a 12 yard comeback. And we did not. And I mean, I think you said that, that Pickett had what, 16, uh, 16 completions for like 190 yards. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was gashing us deep. They were just getting short and medium yard passes. And that was, that was where the issue was coming. It hasn't had a really good quarterback since they had Tom Savage years and years ago. Um, they've had this real revolving door of guys just coming in and out over and over. It seems like you see a different starter every year and it's always the same skill set where they're just going to try to scheme some guys open and get those really short to medium passes. I think it was last year when they really just tight ended us to death is the only way I can describe it. And we didn't adjust. And then this year it felt like a lot of the same thing, although maybe a more, maybe more so with their wide receivers this time. Um, y'all mentioned um, Henri St. Amour. I think he had the only two quarterback hurries on the team in this game, which is just not good. I mean, in any way, you've got, you've got to have more than that if you want to win or want to have a good defensive performance against an ACC opponent. He They gave they gave um, Pickett all day to throw, even though he didn't take all day because he was getting the ball out really fast, which is you know part of the reason why it was harder to get pressure. But there's not really a great excuse for for it being – as bad as it was from a pass rushing and disruption perspective. I don't know if I can even name another defensive lineman that we had out there other than Henri St. Amour. I mean, nobody else was out there making plays. Nobody else was out there making tackles. It was, it was not a good day for the defensive line at all. Yep. Not at all. I mean, truly the only other one that I noticed playing 
was Brandon Adams a couple of times. And outside of those two guys, I mean, you're not exaggerating, Drew, like exactly zero idea what the rest of the line was doing for the entire game. I mean, they're just getting stuffed. Though when especially when you watched it on replay, anytime that Kenny Pickett was able to get off a 12, 13 yard completion for a first down, you see two offensive linemen taking down a defensive lineman pushing him to the ground. It was it I don't know if it was a size advantage or a skill advantage because, you know, in my head, I feel like Pitt and Tech are about evenly matched teams in terms of talent, but they just could not get any any sort of push, any sort of leverage on that Pitt offensive line. And that's a Pitt offensive line that got absolutely demolished last week versus Penn, uh, Penn State. I mean, point blank, this is a game you're supposed to win. This is a game where – your expectations coming into the season as Georgia Tech were higher than Pitt's expectations coming into the season. They lost a lot of talent. They lost some really, really big bodies on their defensive line, which is really what gave us a whole lot of trouble last season and the season before that. Those guys are gone, so you were thinking, what, maybe we finally got the opportunity to get our middle run game going a little bit more. Um, their cornerbacks have been really, really bad for the entire Pat Narduzzi um, era. Even though they've gotten a little better recently, but this is really just the game you should have won, and there's no reason to to lose a game like this. Yeah, honestly, I don't I don't think there's really much else to say on the defense other than the first half did not was sort of a scathing indictment so far of of the Nate Woody era, and I I hope it gets better moving forward. All right. With that being said, let's move on to special teams. Uh, I mean, uh, last week, I feel like um, special teams were, I mean, we're okay. Uh, they're probably the, uh, honestly, I don't think it's a stretch to say they were the best unit on the field this this week. I don't know about that, but they, they were better. But just they were better. They were better. I, I mean, you I mean, you give up two kick return field goal or kick return touchdowns, excuse me. Um, and I mean, you can't really, there's no really nowhere to go but up from there, I feel like. Uh, however, you know, the tech special teams did leave five points on the board, um, one shanked field goal, one missed extra point. And then I guess this isn't really on them, but there was another extra point that was, that would have, maybe been converted if we didn't go for two after scoring our first uh after scoring our second touchdown um the punting was pretty good i didn't have anything really to complain about from presley harvin the third there was that fake punt call that was questionable at best especially when tech was deep in its own territory uh but the best news of the day and honestly i'm very happy about this sean davis is putting the ball in the back of the end zone on kickoffs, and I am so happy. Oh, my God. I am so happy. Yes, that, that's, a, that's a huge improvement there. But, I mean, I still had some issues with other part of the special teams. Obviously, there was that fake punt that did not work. I, I was not so mad with the call. I actually think Owens had a chance at the first down. He He just cut the wrong way, I think. But... You know, there was also, and I can't blame them for missing a 52-yard field goal before half. That That's tough for even an NFL kicker. 
but you know we did go for a fourth down at the 25 yard line because we didn't trust our kickers to hit a 40 40 42 yard field goal um our punt team was good i i loved the the kickoffs absolutely get them in the end zone please um punt returning though i don't know why we still have brad stewart back there he catches the ball which is good but he's not he's not not a very good returner i mean he doesn't I mean, he doesn't have any, he just doesn't return the ball. That's the thing. Yeah. He has no elusiveness on the return. That, that's when you have the, on a punt return is when you have the best chance to make guys miss. They're coming at you at full speed. You can sidestep them. You got, you got chance to make a miss. And Brad Stewart just does not do that. He, he's smart about calling fair catches and actually catching the ball. But I think it's a little bit of an indictment that we don't have anyone else who can do that and also make guys miss. Yep. Um, Paul Johnson, I think, is just going safe across the board this season. And we've seen it a little bit at quarterback with his reluctance to make changes there. We've seen it at punt returner with his reluctance to make changes there. He knows the guys who he thinks have the lowest risk associated with them, and those are the guys that he's most comfortable putting back. So I think that's probably the main reason why we see Brad Stewart back there. Punting, I think, was good. We said that. Presley Harvin's always going to be a good punter for us. And then the only other thing I'll talk about is place kicking. So the missed extra point, not great. Uh, There's a situation where we went for it on a fourth down that I normally don't think we would go for it on way deep in their territory, and I don't think we converted, which otherwise would have been a field goal. Uh, yes. Field goal. So these are all things that are really starting to give issues to the rest of the team's scoring output. They're causing issues for the offense. Um, causing points, point totals to reflect poorly on them as well. Um, there's a there's a case you can make that if we had a more reliable kicker, we would probably have been in a tie game late in that one. Um, but it's just, it's it's really going to be difficult to win games when you can't trust your place kicking from really any distance at all. And we were spoiled by Harrison Butker for years and years. You know, 99% of college football teams don't have Harrison Butker. But there's got to be some improvement shown from that unit at some point because the, the extra points especially is just not something you can do as a college kicker uh, or as a college team. Especially because we don't have the NFL weird extra point BS where it's a 30-yard field goal. Those are gimmies. You got to get those. There's a ton of space between where Harrison Bucker was and where we are now kicking. And it's just, it's massive. We need to get better at kicking or, I mean, any game that should be close, we're going to lose. For sure. And you, I'm, I mean, <clears throat> you'll never hear me arguing against teams going for it on fourth down more. I think there's a case to be made for coaches across the board to go for it on fourth down more often than not, which Paul Johnson's done for a long time. But there are situations where it just makes more sense from a point perspective and just a mathematical perspective to kick a field goal. And the fact that you can't do that from basically any point on the field, like at anywhere, period, with confidence, is going to be a huge, huge issue. And there was one situation where I feel like you're referring to it directly. It was the fourth down call in the red zone. Uh, I want to say it was at like the pit 15 or 10 where – Paul just was like, yeah, we're going for it. It's fourth. It's like fourth and one or fourth and goal. And we're just going to go for it. I don't want to, I don't want to trot out our kicker. And that's, 
you got to take the points. And if you can't take the points, then well, yeah, of course you're going to lose the game. I mean, special teams is one of those things where it can't win you a game, but it can sure lose you a game. And now two games in a row where, you know, I don't think we've necessarily lost because of special teams, but it's been a big factor in us not winning. I mean, it makes the whole difference a lot of the time. We suffered through years and years of the whole Beamer ball experience at, at Virginia Tech where everything he preached was doing the extremely small fundamental things like special teams and the really, really niche things like returning, you know, interceptions for touchdowns where Virginia Tech did those things incredibly well, better than any team in the country um, and did well consistently. And you saw the success they had with that. But it seems like the, the approach that Paul Johnson's had at Tech is to almost marginalize and ignore those same factors that make really successful teams successful because especially when you consider the approach he's used for delegating these these tasks giving them as just additional like throwaway jobs to various assistants to handle I mean it doesn't work at all and we know it clearly he doesn't think it works to have a regular special teams coordinator because we tried that for a while too but it, it it shouldn't be this difficult to find adequate special teams play for an ACC school because I would be shocked if there's a team in this conference that struggled as much and as frequently as we have to find, you know, a success returning punts, punting, place kicking, all these different things that we take for granted a lot of the time at other schools uh, has just been such a struggle because of the way I think it's been approached by coaching staff. I, th I think it's a huge indictment on Paul Johnson that after last year, and the struggles that we had on special teams all year. Even our punt unit struggled. And then this year, we come back with no changes on special teams, no special team coordinator. I think that's a massive indictment on him and his ability to, to make changes when we have trouble. I think sometimes he sees things in, in his way. And if things don't go the way he expects them to. He can't adapt to that. And I think I mean, that's I'd say that's Saban, right? Saban is like, if, if we have to trot out our field goal, ki field goal kicker, yeah, words are hard today, uh, then we've already lost the game. That's why he basically, Saban basically doesn't recruit kickers. And that's why Bama has been historically not so great under Saban at kicking. Well, they did that until they lost the national championship because they missed some kicks. And then he, he goes and recruits the number one kicker in the country, and he stole him from Georgia Tech. And it just happened that that guy, yeah, I was Joseph, bring that one up. <laughs> Joseph Bolivis, or I'm blanking on his name, but yep, now, it turns out that he wasn't that good. So they're still struggling. But I think Nick Saban there learned his lesson. He says, you know, he, obviously the special teams is the least important of them, but there, there will be a time where you will need to kick a field goal to win a game. And you should have a guy who can do that. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, both of us may not be what we thought he was coming out of college, but looking at what he's doing right now against Ole Miss, he's at least, he's seven of seven on PATs, which is, would be really nice to have right now. So I wish we <clears throat> had been able to hold on to him. Speaking of that game, and uh, mind you, we're recording this as other games are going on uh, on Saturday night. Is that a 49 7? At halftime? Yes, sir. Hotty toddy. Uh, it was 7-7 seven to seven with 13-39 left in the first quarter. And now at halftime, it is 49-7. to seven. Oh, so, my yeah. God. I'm not surprised. Ole Miss gave up 41 points to an FCS school. 
I mean, that their defense is nothing. Oh my God, Bama's going to put up a hundred. I'm I'm seriously concerned for our 222 to zero record right now. That's bad. That is just man. They, Ole Miss does not have a defense. I I don't think we can talk all that much right now after today. But ugh. I I just gotta say I don't care how bad Ole Miss loses. There's no way they lose as embarrassingly as Rutgers did today. Oh, they we'll, lost. We'll get, to, we'll get to that one later when we talk. All right. About all right. <laughs> All's big balls calls of the week and review from last week, but oh boy, uh, the toilet bowl up in Lawrence, Kansas, fun one up there. All right, so y'all have any final thoughts on the pit game, um, defense, offense, special teams, any of the sort? I've got a final defensive thought, which is that we were we were wrong to expect too much improvement this season from our defense. Um, I tried to temper my expectations at least just because it's a big transition from 4-3 to 3-4 as far as the type of personnel you're putting on the field. Um, I had hoped that we would get production from especially the defensive line and linebacker positions that are pretty different from what they were since there's nobody on the current roster recruited to play those positions specifically. Um, So I was cautiously optimistic and it has not really been rewarded so far. So I guess we just need to remember to be be pretty light on Nate Woody for, for some of these things because even though you'd like to see probably a better performance, I do think there's a, a, a quite a few areas where we've seen improvement from last year, and it's just important to remember that year one of a whole new system is going to have a lot of growing pains. Uh, I think we can then move on to our reader questions. Um, so first one we got, uh, from Nicholas Gregory Santine from Facebook. Uh, I think this one is just going to be a one-word answer for everyone. What was the biggest issue with the offense this week? Cade, what you got? Oh, that's that's harder than it should be. Um, oh, it is. I, I 100% agree. That is, that's a hard question, but I feel like, for me, it's a one-word. My, my deal is, so in the loss to... USF, you could, we could really clearly sit here on Saturday night and pinpoint exactly what was wrong. You know, it was the touchdowns or the kickoff returns for touchdowns. It yeah. was really easy things to point out. But this, this felt like a lot more failure across the board. It would be way, way unfair to place everything on Taquan Marshall, um, like beyond unfair and unreasonable. Um, the offensive line was not great. His passing was not great, partially as a result of the offensive line. Um, skill position players had fumbles. You know, the Clinton Lynch fumble was not not good. Uh, yeah, we did put the ball on the ground three times. And... Yep. Yeah, for sure. And so I would I I guess my one word would be details because we we were not detail oriented on offense, and it showed in the fact that we had twelve points until thirty seven seconds were left in the fourth quarter against this team, which is not acceptable. I I would disagree a little bit. I think my one word is penetration. Um, we struggled to go inside all game because they were getting into the backfield before Saquon could make his first read. And then even if, you know, he made the read, kept the ball, there were times where if he could have made the pitch outside, we would have been great. We would have had a good gain. But their defensive end was straight in between him and our A-back. And there was no way that he could make a good pitch. Uh, There were a ton of times where they just blew up the play 
before it started. And, you know, our passing was obviously an issue. We had other issues putting the ball on the ground. But I think that was the one that prevented us from getting a rhythm going and really prevented us from moving the ball. Well, I thought this was going to be an easy one, but now y'all have made it hard and made me have to actually think about it. Oh, boy. <laughs> I hate thinking. Um, I'm going to have to say I agree on details. I agree on, on penetration. I'm going to say... Yeah, I'm going to have to say passing. I, I know it's hard to put the entire game on Taquan Marshall's shoulders, but I, I don't know. I, I just six for 15 on passing when, you know, this is something that we looked at as an area of improvement for him over the offseason and something that Tech said, okay, we're working on that in practice. We're looking to improve. I know Tech doesn't have exactly a sterling history of passing the ball under Paul Johnson. I, I think one of our fellow staff writers put together a list of Tech quarterbacks and their stats that did not really reflect poorly. But especially with that Jalen Camp just overthrow uh, in the first half that would have set Tech up uh, on, I think, the pit 30 and – you know, on one of Paul Johnson's patented death marches, passing game was just not not there. And it's it was the same thing last week, except we got a couple big breaks. But this week especially, it was just not there. And I, I really want to see that improve uh, over the course of the season. And I really hope it does. Yep. And one part of the passing game that I think we haven't given enough of maybe the blame to would be our wide receivers. Um. They had some bad drops, most notably Jalen Camp's drop. I think there were a couple that Brad Stewart struggled to pull into, but really the the production we've gotten from our wide receivers during the Saquon Marshall era has really skewed kind of, I think, everyone's perception because they have not been nearly as, as strong as they were previously with guys like Darren Waller and DeAndre Smelter and Stephen Hill and others like that. Um, it's not to say that you know, either party is fully to blame, but in conjunction, the struggles of both of them have made it really hard to move the ball, uh, especially in long yardage situations. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I totally agree on that. I just think passing game in general, we're limiting it to one one word or one concept. Passing game definitely moving forward was the big issue this week. All right, so next question I got on the docket here. Let's see. Uh, from Sarah Johnson Ruggles on Facebook. What was the difference in the last scoring drive versus the previous attempts to move the ball? It's a really oh, good man. question. I, uh, I, I really like this question. I mean, I think part of it was that Pitt was hanging back a little. They were they were sort of looking for us to really push it. So they were letting us take those 10, 12-yard plays that, you know, took up a bunch of time. Um, I, I think that was a big difference and I think by the end of the game our offense had sort of figured it out we had been moving the ball a lot better in the second half. A lot half. more outside oh, runs gosh. in the second half guys compared to the first half especially in that fourth quarter we're definitely running the ball uh, running and pitching towards the outside a lot more. I, yeah. I agree we really started moving the ball better in general in the second half and then that last drive they were letting us take those outside runs letting us take those passes as long as we were eating up clock, which we were. I mean, we started the drive with like five minutes left or something and ended it with 40 seconds. I mean, it was mm -mm. 
there was not enough urgency there. And I think Pitt was fine with that. They were fine to let us do that. And there's just no tempo. Like, it's hard for this offense to go tempo, I think. And even though we were running no huddle on that last drive, it was still still slow. Like, it seemed like – and I don't want to say it seemed like an unfamiliar concept, but we were not going as fast as you really expect a, like a, your usual spread option or option team to go in those sorts of situations. No, there was no urgency at all. It was really kind of frustrating to watch because it seemed really they, like they had time to make that comeback if they really wanted to. They had time to get down the field. They had time to do you know, to score twice if they got the ball back. Um, but they made it a lot harder on themselves because especially on – the one that stuck out to me the most was the one right before the touchdown with 30-something seconds left. They got up to set up first and goal, and then everybody was just kind of, you know – walking around, kind of jogging back to the line. Not, I mean, there's no real energy or urgency or anything. So you could, you got the sense that they kind of knew it was, was over, even though that was not really the case with three timeouts and the ability to make an onside kick or to even you know, force them to punt. Uh, obviously, we didn't get the onside kick and didn't force them to punt, but they could have made things a lot easier on themselves in the, in the situation that they did had they hurried up a little bit more. Just needed more time. That That's it. And that... I, I just keep going back to that thought, especially I didn't end up rewatching it, but I really wanted to just, there's no, just was not tempo, not what you expect to see at, at all in that, in the, especially in that three minute, two minute drill, you got to go faster than that. You had, they, Tech had a chance to win this game. Tech had a chance to win this terrible, awful, no good game at the end of the game. And it, it just did not have enough time at the end of the day. Yep, I agree with you there. you got to give yourself a better chance than they gave themselves at the end of that game, especially after, you know, how poorly they played for the rest, the first, you know, three and three and eight-tenths quarters of the game. Yeah, people will look at that last drive as an example of what our offense could do, and I don't think that's fair because Pitt was letting them do that. Pitt wanted them to eat up the clock. They know uh, Paul Johnson is going to run it at most of the, on most drives, and it, it, it's like a safe bet. It, they yeah, there were, uh, I think there were a few back, back dives in there, which was perplexing to me. Why are you running a B-back dive? It was a one-back dive on a, on, a, on a a majority passing drive, I felt like. Yeah, there was also one pass play where I thought for sure it was going to be a pass. Um, but Taquan tucked it pretty much immediately and ran for, I think, a three- or four-yard gain, which did give him the first down, but it was in the situation and in, in that context, I'm not sure what the real benefit to that was, being that that was on a second down play, not you know, not a fourth or third down. I mean, you get the first down, you stop the clock, but there's just no – it's not that much urgency. All right, with the discussion over on that one, let's move on to our last – question from Facebook from Zach Hughes and this leads into a little bit of uh, looking at Clemson that coming up next week Clemson's defensive line is first to second round NFL draft material at every single position uh, what will it take to realistically have any chance of successfully running the option against these guys our undersized offensive line is bound to collapse on every play and this offense relies on solid blocking Yikes. I mean, being any sort of offense and beating 
Clemson's D-line is going to be tough. But, yeah, when they have that level of talent and skill on the defensive line, beating that as a triple option offense is near impossible. I think you need to keep them on their heels. That's the only way. I mean, I know we hit on Paul Johnson a little bit in this game for a sort of tricky play calling. I think you need to do some of that tricky play calling early and have success success with it. And that's your only chance of beating them. I think if you run your vanilla stuff, they're just too talented inside. I mean, they can run two defensive linemen at your B-back. They can run two defensive linemen at your B-back dive, and you're probably going to be stuffed. And that is not a recipe for success for Tech. Yep, I agree completely. I, I know I literally probably 20 or 30 minutes ago advocated for more vanilla offense. Um, I should have added the caveat that that's not an acceptable way to beat Clemson because you'll never do it like that, just like you said, Drew. Um, the only way to do it is to open up the entire playbook. The only way to do it is to have a healthy Kenny Cooper back and playing at 100%, which I have no idea how feasible that is for next week. Um, the only way to do it is for your offensive line as a whole to improve its blocking and for Taquan's reads to get uh, even better. If you don't do those things, you're not going to be able to move the ball whatsoever. You can try to throw against them. I have my questions about whether or not our pass blocking is going to hold up against that defensive line we've been talking about. But, I mean, I feel like I haven't talked about a single unit this entire season or, or off season as much as I've talked about Clemson's defensive line. You know, as much as well for good reason, right? You have an entire defensive line that's preseason All ACC, and despite you know not getting a lot of push and letting Kellen Mond throw all over them in the Texas A and M game, they've still looked good. I just the pure talent that they have is just stupid. It's just not really fair. Um, they should. I don't know what. I have no idea what to do about that. It'll be really, really hard to move the ball against them, especially if they're the same issues that we saw this week and last week with our offense. I mean, I, I know you doubted passing against them, Cade, but I, I think that's what you got to do. But you got to do some of the quick passing that we saw in the second half against Alcorn State and some of the quick passing that we saw in this last drive against Pitt. I mean, I know that's not Taquan's strength, obviously, but... I mean, that's going to be the only way you can neutralize that defensive line, get the ball to your playmakers like Clinton Lynch and Quay Cersei against their secondary, which is a relative weakness for their defense. I mean, you, you got to be able to do that. If you can't do that, then, I mean, we're probably not going to win the game anyway, but that that's your chance at winning it. Yeah, for sure. And their, <clears throat> their offense is also really talented. It's just not anywhere near as talented as that defensive line and that defense as a whole. Um, I'm guessing we'll probably see some Kelly Bryant. I'm not sure who played for Clemson the most today, if it was Trevor Lawrence or Kelly Bryant. But uh, as far as quarterbacks we've seen at Clemson in the past few years, the, the options they have right now are not Deshaun Watson. It's unfair. It's still unfair how much talent they have at the quarterback position, I'd say. I believe it was Trevor Lawrence almost exclusively today. So I think that's probably who we'll see the most of. And, you know, I mean, I guess you can hope that he has a Cole Stout-esque game and throws a couple pick sixes, but that's, I mean, you hope our defense can hold him under 
four touchdowns, and then that's about as much as you can hope out of our defense right now, I think. Yep, definitely. And in my opinion, Kelly Bryant is, is more of their reliable, you know, high floor, low ceiling guy, whereas Trevor Lawrence is definitely the maybe streakier, hot and cold, hit or miss, incredibly talented guy. So if we've got a shot at anybody, I guess Trevor Lawrence might be the one that we have a better shot at just because we saw what Kelly Bryant did to us last season. So hopefully they can put something together against him. Yeah, I I have a tough time seeing the spread for that game under three or four scores, honestly. Because Clemson, Clemson on the offensive side of the ball, and y'all have touched on it, it's a lot of talent. It's it's a, it's a well-oiled machine from Dabo Swinney. On defense, Brent Venables still has refused to take a head coaching job and is the undying bait of our existence it's it's unfair and especially reeling from two heartbreak I, I hate i mean heartbreaking pretty much describes it uh two heartbreaking losses for tech it, this is a tough one to have, even at home for tech to play in yeah for sure it's not going to be an easy game um i guess if there's a team that we've historically upset under paul johnson it's probably Probably Clemson after 2011 and 2014 and a couple other instances. But, yeah, this is not – the way Georgia Tech has played this year I don't think is the same as the way we've seen in previous years when we beat in Clemson. So it's going to be a tough test for sure. But I do got to agree. If it's if it's Trevor Lawrence pulling the strings for, for Clemson, if, if Clemson wants to play a little, a little look ahead uh, to the next team on their schedule, I have no idea who that is. But uh, – but if they overlook this game and then start Trevor Lawrence and he, he makes mental mistakes at Bobby Dodd, then this could be – I mean, I hope he does. That that means it's a game and, and we're still in it. Yeah, that's just going to be tough all around. I don't know how that's going to – how we could possibly win that game. But BYU just beat Wisconsin today, so who knows? Things happen. And that was like a 20, 20 – I want to say there was a 20-point spread or something like that. So – as Kevin Garnett says, anything is possible. <laughs> Let's move on to our uh, fun sports betting part of the podcast, Paul's Big Balls Calls of the Week. All right. So let's recap last week a little bit. Uh, Ethan picked UCF by 14.5 over UNC, but that game got canceled due to Hurricane Florence. So, womp, womp. Cade. I believe you have some exciting news about your oh. whiteout hole. <clears throat> oh boy, the light of my week is the fact that I picked BYU over Wisconsin in my whiteout game. Um, I think I set the line, my my fake line that I made up at 20 and a half. Uh, and I think the official line that I'm seeing right now is 23 and a half, but... Close. Yeah, I'm pretty close. And I picked BYU and they, not only did they, you know, not only was it a close game, but they won the game. Over number six, Wisconsin. So go BYU. Go uh, 26-year-old players. The whole thing. Uh, I wish we could have beaten them a few times a few years ago. Those were some painful games. But at least now they're inflicting the pain on other people. So that's always a good good sign. All right. So Jake took Illinois by 11.5 versus South Florida. And it looks like that game went final a couple minutes ago. but 
Illinois has unfortunately fallen to South Florida, 25 to 19. Ouch. Uh, so I would like to point out that in that game, South Florida was favored by like nine points. So, oh yeah, they didn't no, cover. It, it was a terrible spread from. Oh no, they were favored by fourteen. Two scores for South Florida. Uh, that was a ridiculous line for for Illinois. Um, and Jake, while you're recovering from your uh, drowning injury, you know, I guess you don't really recover from drowning, but. Now, while you're recovering from your ball pit injury, um, you might want to take a look at that and think on your sins a little bit for Illinois. It's not a, a competitive out- outing for the, for Lovey Smith's Illini, but uh, not uh, not a great look there for Jake's betting future. Oh yeah, not a great look at all. The uh, <clears throat> the bias factor for sure. You expect more from a big, 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 big J journalist that's like twelve bigs. Um, than to have bias uh, as far as where he's from to pick Illinois over South Florida. That's why we just let him cover non-rev. Very true. When it comes to football, I don't, I don't know. I, I just got to doubt his efficacy here. Very true. All right, it's- so I had the toilet bowl, Rutgers at Kansas, and uh, I didn't take the spread, if you remember correctly. I talked about the over-under on how much it was going to cost to get in the door. It was. It started nine dollars last week, and when I checked it last yesterday, it was five dollars. I took the under, going with it, and Kansas somehow put up fifty-five points in this game. What? And, and Akshay, you not only got the under. I was offered free tickets to this game, and I turned it down. So really, zero dollars was the going rate for this game. Honestly, and, uh, the guy might have might have ended up paying you for those tickets. I guess. <laughs> yeah, it would have it would have taken them paying me quite a bit to go. Oh yeah, I mean, toilet bowl. Kansas won fifty five fourteen, I think, over Rutgers. I mean, Lawrence, Kansas is having fun right now. Kansas is what two and one for the first time since like two thousand and seven. Yikes! That's just ah. must feel nice. Can't relate to the two and one feeling. I, I can relate to what Rutgers is feeling right now, but that's about it. <laughs> oh, exactly. Very true. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm happy with my betting. I'll take that. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how Kansas won that game. I don't know how that game was even played without an act of God stopping it because those two teams are just, oh, my God, they're horrible. But it happened. Kansas won, and uh, we're going to move on with our lives somehow. So – what do we got this week for Paul's Big Balls Calls of the Week? Cade, hit me. All right, so powerhouse matchup of the week, the two most evenly matched teams in the entire country. Northern Illinois at Florida State. Willie Taggart, not very good. Wasn't very good at Oregon. Was really good at South Florida, but that was a long time ago. So now everybody in Tallahassee is real mad at him. So you've got Northern Illinois and Florida State. I'm doing Jake a solid by picking an Illinois team. I'm going to set my line at I, – I, I said at Florida State by 14.5, but I think I'm going to bump it down to Florida State by like 11.5. And, and then I'm going to take Northern Illinois on that. So hopefully it's an upset because that would be really funny. And I'm also going to do a secondary line, which is over or under um, 300 tweets about Willie Taggart. No, actually – Twitter, my dude. I'm actually I'm bumping it to 500. I'm bumping it to 500 because even today there were only 410 tweets about Willie Taggart. 
But if it's an NIU loss, I think that'll bump it up a lot more. So they played. They played it in a in a BCS bowl game, didn't they? Where? They, I'm pretty sure they paid, played in a BCS bowl game, like the oh oh Florida State and Northern Illinois. Yeah, and yeah. I, yeah that was. They I don't did. Know. Yeah, they did. That was the yeah, Orange Bowl. I think. I think that was back when they when Northern Illinois had Jordan Lynch, who was that really really good quarterback who finished I think third or fourth in Heisman voting that one year. And then got drafted and never heard from him since. So, yeah, 500 tweets for Willie Taggart. I'm going to take the over on that because people are going to be real mad. Um, Or maybe actually it'll be a blowout and they'll be real happy and saying he's finally found his groove. But who knows? Over 500 tweets about Willie Taggart for sure. All right. Sounds sounds about right. Drew, what you got? All right. I'm going West Coast for this, and I would like to preface this. This game is Arizona State at Washington. And as of recording time, neither of these teams have played yet. Yeah, so I have no idea what's going to go on. I'm just guessing. Uh, I'm going to put the line at Washington favored by nine. Uh, I think a lot of us, including me, made fun of the Herm Edwards hire at Arizona State. But uh, that's looking way better than, you know, Kevin Sumlin and Willie Taggart and Scott Frost. So, you know, I'm going to say it. I'm firm for Herm. Give me Arizona State plus nine. And and you said you were taking Arizona State in that game for the upset too, right? That's correct. I think Arizona State's going to win. I think they're going to go. I think they're going to win the Pac-12 this year. Ooh, that's a bold pick. That is a spicy pick. And I actually have one trivia question for y'all, which is if the angry Florida State fans get their way, how much would it cost to, to fire Willie Taggart at the end of this season? Any guesses? More than $4 million. Uh, 27.5 oh, million. Well, you're close. So it's $21.25 million if they decide to fire Willie Taggart this year. So I'm amazed that it's that cheap. Honestly, I feel like they signed him for a lot more. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not going to. I hope. I really doubt they're going to after one year, but that would be an expensive decision. That would be hilarious. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that, yes, it would be. We'll see what happens when they go one and eleven. Uh oh. Oof. Oof. Yeah, I, I think that's Willie Taggart's head on a pike there in Tallahassee if they go one and eleven. All right. So I will take this week's meme bowl, uh, FAU versus twenty eighteen national champions UCF. Is it twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen national champions? I can never get the naming thing right on those. I don't know. Twenty Probably 2018, right? Because they won it in 2018. Yeah, the Peach Bowl was technically 2018, right? It was New Year's Day. Got to be 2018. Yeah, 2018. We'll go with that. Okay, we'll call it 2018. So the Lane Train meets the uh, meets the national champions uh, at Spectrum Stadium in Orlando. I was thinking U- UCF has actually looked pretty good this season. FAU has very much so struggled. Uh, FAU kind of didn't show up versus Oklahoma and then almost didn't beat a pretty bad Air Force team last week. I don't really know what they were doing this week. I think they were, they might have been off. But, uh, you know, for future Georgia Tech head football coach Lane Kiffin and his Lane train are going to beat the spread this week. But UCF is still going to take home the victory and win by five. I'm going to set the spread for this. I'm thinking I'm thinking 15 points. UCF is going to be favored by 15 points. Lane Train is going to beat the spread, but 
UCF by five. I'm feeling it. By five? Man. UCF by five. Because it's a 15-point spread. Am I am I misunderstanding how betting works? Uh, well, I think you're just misunderstanding how to talk about it, but okay. <laughs> Wait, so it's a 15-point spread, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and what do you, you think what's going to happen? What do you think the final score is going to be? UCF is going to win by five. Oh. Okay. I see what you mean. You're good. I don't know. It's uh, it's like my second year, first year doing pickums and and thinking about sports betting. So, uh, you know, tech doesn't really offer a class on that, and it's also not really legal in the state of Georgia yet. So, you know, we're we're just gonna roll with it. You got anything else on next week's slate of games, which honestly is kind of terrible, all in all. Uh, or Tech's performance, looking ahead to Clemson. What you got? What you got? Uh, looking ahead to Clemson, uh, we're going to get beat bad. There's an Atlanta United game that night, though, so if you're into that, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe go to that instead. Make a day out of it and go to both. You can balance balance your cheat by going to one game that might be a loss and one game that might be a win. Yeah, maybe go to the first half of the Tech game, and then when we're down by 30, leave, and then go to the Atlanta United game. Make it on time. An adventure. An adventure in offense and an adventure in defense. And probably an adventure in special teams, too, because Clemson can play special teams. All three phases. you know. All three phases. They might even add a fourth phase just so they can beat us in that fourth phase. I'm not sure what that fourth phase would be, but... Space teams? Like the Space Force? Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The fourth branch of college football, the space teams, which is... I honestly don't know what that would be. They're going to send... I'm telling you, they're going to send Kelly Bryant into orbit to throw passes to Earth. That's space, that's space teams right there. That would legitimately not be the most surprising thing I've seen. I mean, I think the most surprising thing I've seen today is... FSU getting canned by Syracuse by 30, but uh, that's just me. That's, yeah. Well, actually, so we here at uh, From the Rumble Seat have a pick'em challenge every week, and I gave Syracuse my 10-point pick'em. Oh, oh. Ah. oh. What? Uh, yeah, I know. I have faith in, faith in uh, what's that guy's name? You know, Babers? Eric Dungy. Eric Dungy. It is Eric Dungy, okay. Dungy, Eric Dungy is the guys from the solid verbal like to call him. Yep. So Eric Dungy, he's my guy. Florida State sucks. So I picked Syracuse for ten points. How did Actually, you not- I had no idea I did that till this morning when I checked and I was like, oh, I guess I got lucky. I'm just amazed you didn't take Tennessee by like twenty five. I did, but that was only was over UTEP and Tennessee still didn't cover. Oh no, I took um I actually took UTEP. Oh one- I should have given more points to UTEP, my guys, the minors, but you know how it goes sometimes. It don't. It'd be like that sometimes. I did lose on Georgia Tech, of course, because that was a tragedy. No, I picked also, Pitt. I was ready. I yeah. was ready. Uh, also, if you uh, bet your life savings on Tech, like uh, our friend Stephen Murphy uh, said, you should. Uh, we're we're sorry. Yikes! Yeah, that. Well, my savings are minimal because I'm broke, so wouldn't be too much of a loss for me. But, yeah, still not what I want to do. Yeah. Um, hopefully none of you bet your mortgage on that one because that would be bad. As you know, sports betting is also illegal in the state of Georgia. So, you know, stay legal. The, don't, uh, don't do sports betting, kids. It's a gateway drug to, you know, actual drugs. 
what what sports betting the, we were not sports betting we were just making up numbers and emailing them to each other for fun there was no sports involved here whatsoever what sports at Let's go to georgia tech we don't know what sports are whoever the george whatever the georgia equivalent of the nsa is that's monitoring this live podcast recording right now we did not bet on any sports we were just 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 playing around i did not have betting relations with that sport american football <laughs> exactly so prove it hack my email go find nothing okay i feel like i could guess your email password pretty easily why, why me in particular? I don't know. I, I think it's the econ major in you. I feel like your email is just isn't that secure. All right, also, guess please take that as initiative to hack Cade's email and then tell me the password. Guess my email account password right now on this live podcast. I'm not doing that. Do it. Come on. You won't. You won't do it. Bet you won't. Hell yeah, I can do it. Come on. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Tobias Oliver uh, 08. Thanks. There goes my my. Uh, you think he's changed it from his Lucas Johnson password already? I got. I mean, you know, he, it was probably the ninety day renewal period for your password for Georgia Tech, and it just came up, and and K just had to think of something on the spot. Yeah, I actually have a funny story about how I decide passwords, but I feel like oversharing about the way I create my passwords is not what I want to put on the internet. So. Well, don't share on the internet. What do you think the internet's for? I know. One day someone's going to be researching me for a job and they're going to be like, well, the biggest con against him is that he once told everyone in the entire world every password he's ever had. So that's a little bit worrisome. But a little bit. Yeah. I hope you uh, I hope you don't end up working in the finance industry because uh, that would be a red flag. But I bet Equifax would give you a job. No, I'm not. I don't have a music therapy degree. I'm not qualified. All right. Uh, that about wraps it up for this week's episode of Signs of the Southland. Cade Lawson, where can they find you online? Uh, they can find me at FTRS Cade or on Facebook. Still no one's added me, even though I've asked, I think, every episode. And also, um, I guess if you hack my email account, you can find me that way, probably. Let's see who hacks your email account. I am curious as to see if anyone will take our challenge. Uh, Drew, where can they find you online? Uh... They can find me from the rumble seat, and that's about it. <laughs> don't do the Twitters? Nope, I, do, I don't do that or anything else, really. So you got my writing, and that's about it. Overrated. It's easily hackable, like Kate's email. See, and just, and just to clarify for everybody out there, the new challenge is actually to not hack my email account. So, no, 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 no. It's still, the, it's still the hack his email account. No, no, no. First person to send me an email saying that they did not hack my email account, I will send a three dollars to all right he's agreed to that on air so someone please take advantage of that when this episode goes up uh i think on tuesday that's legally enforceable yeah it's it is a, a verbal contract contract I'm, I'm i'm fine with it you have to go through all the uh regulations for contest giveaways i'm sure but i'll keep it on the down low and send you that three dollars that you can use to buy we'll, we'll put them in the show notes you can buy a cup of coffee you can buy Cade a cup of coffee for giving you those $3 and winning the contest. I'd appreciate that. All right. Nah, I am also not a fan of the Twitters, but I, uh, all my articles go through FTRS blog on Twitter. You can find them on from the rumble seat.com. 
And uh, yeah, from Midtown Atlanta and also Wichita, Kansas, uh, this has been Signs of the Southland. And uh, we will see you next week on The Flats. Peace out. Oh,